Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Grass withers and the flower fades. And the word of our God stands forever. So we've got a pretty incredible text for us here this morning. And at some level, we just have got to pray and, and ask God to give us eyes to see what's going on here. Our, our Western eyes, our Western minds fight against so much. We've been programmed to, and, and, and honestly, I think a lot of it is just the reality of life. We are very tangible. We, you know, there's only so many things you can really realize and, and know about and lay your hands on. And those are the things that really matter. And what we have this morning in this text is something incredibly supernatural happening. The likes of which you won't see about except in some sort of sci-fi fiction thing or whatever. And it says something incredible is happening this morning. Now remember... Luke, at the beginning of chapter 1, says to Theophilus, I'm writing these things to you so that you might have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. That's how Luke starts out this letter. So he's relaying to Theophilus and all who would read this letter the reality of the events that actually did happen. So this isn't some hallucinogenic event where uh, Peter, James, and John are, have some sort of mutual weird dream. Luke is recording this. This is what happened with Jesus. This account is in all of the synoptic gospels at this very moment. There is this confession of Peter at Caesarea Philippi. You are the Christ. Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ of God. And, and Jesus confirms it, yes. And then on down, he makes a, a declaration of his impending death. He's going to be uh, suffer and die at the hands of the elders. And then they go off six days, Matthew, Mark say. Luke says eight days. There's different ways to count days. We'll look at the Matthew account here soon. But basically, a few days later, a week later, they go up on this mountain and this transfiguration happens all along all along in Luke uh, Luke has been communicating to us this authority and this power 
of Jesus. There has been healings. There have been teachings like no one else has ever taught. Jesus has put putting on display his authority over nature with the calming of the storms. He's been showing his authority over demons, over disease, over death. All of these healings, all of this teaching, all these incredible events going on, these works that Jesus has been doing. And these events have led to this great confession from Peter that Jesus is the Christ of God. But there is more yet to be revealed. At one level, going into detail doesn't really um, communicate, even if we could talk about, and we're going to this morning, because you know me, we're going to talk a little in detail about these things that are going on. But at one level, it's just tough to get how incredible this event is. How incredible it is that these three men go up with Jesus onto this mountain. And they have lived with Him now for a year and a half or so, maybe two years. They've lived with Jesus. They've walked with Him. They've ate with Him. They have traveled around. They've seen Him teach. They've heard Him teach. They've seen all these miracles. But at one level, He's just always been this incredible teacher. He's been this incredible miracle worker. And so they've, they've lived with this guy and been around Him all of this time. But in the midst of all of that, and taking into consideration all that they have seen here, imagine what it is like to be Peter and James and John and to sit there and see the greatness of the glory of God shining out of Jesus. Something incredible is going on. Just try to come back into their shoes. If you've got your Bible out still, I encourage you to try to follow along with me. Uh, Matthew 17, let's read his account of this transfiguration. So if you flip back two Gospels to Matthew chapter 17, so where Matthew records this, Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Just listen to Matthew's retelling of this. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, And his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So, going back to Luke, I've got six things. We're not going to spend time on all of them. But just these six incredible events, all tied up in this one little passage. Jesus lights up like the sun. Moses and Elijah show up there with Jesus. How they know it's Moses and Elijah, they don't really tell us. But somehow they know through the conversation or something, Moses and Elijah show up. They know, they speak about, we know from the Gospel of Luke, they're talking about his departure. They're talking about Jesus' exodus is the word that they use. Peter has this crazy moment where he says, let's get into building tents and have a circus or something. And then fifthly, a cloud comes and overshadows them, which a voice comes out of. And then the cloud disappears and only Jesus is left. 
But why does Luke put this here? Why is this included? What is the point? We're trying to understand what the original writer in, in his narrative, highlighting this transfiguration, why does he include the details that he includes? If we boil it down, what is this essential message of this transfiguration? What is the big picture idea? Well, for the last eight and a half chapters as we've gone through this, we've had the exciting unveiling of who Jesus is, right? All of these miracles pointing to the incredible reality of who Jesus is. And it's, but after all of these incredible events, we've really taken a turn the past two weeks. Jesus begins to say, you see who I am, and here's what's going to happen. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be given over to the, to the hands of the, the elders, and I'm going to die. He begins to reveal his mission a little bit, not just showing who he is, but showing what's going to happen. And then he goes one farther. Not only is he going to die and be persecuted and, and, and suffer, he calls his disciples to suffer along with them. He says, take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Whoever loses his life will save it. Whoever saves his life will lose it. He really turns the message, they heat up, you could say, on the mission of who he is and what he is doing. So he's really turned up, turned up the heat on who he is and what his mission is. Now, who has the authority to say to someone, if you lose your life for me, for me, don't really, you haven't really lost anything. Who has the right to say something like that? So just a word of warning. If anyone comes to you and just says, you know what, yeah, go ahead, lay down your life, go ahead and die for me, no big deal, you won't really lose it, I, I promise you won't. Don't listen to them. <laughs> Don't give up your life just because someone, I mean, you know, this, this is not a light promise, right? This isn't just somebody saying, you know, I, I'll do this for you. If, uh, if you go run this errand for me, I'll give you a Jolly Rancher when you get back or something like that. This is not some light moment. Jesus is saying, whoever loses his life for my sake finds it. These are incredible promises. Who has authority to say things like that? And don't think that the disciples were wondering. How could they not be? Even though this incredible display of Jesus and his powers, these demands begin to worry them, right? Peter, we know from the other gospel accounts, tries to rebuke Jesus, saying, don't talk like that. And Jesus has to rebuke him. But Jesus does make this declaration. And don't think for a second that it wouldn't have caused confusion and difficulty on the part of the disciples. So what will Jesus do to solidify his disciples, at least his inner core? What will he do? He's going to take him up on a mountain and he's going to pull back the veil of his humanity and let them see who he is in the radiance of his glory. The big idea for this morning is that Jesus has the power to accomplish all of these works that he has done. He has the power to accomplish all of these works and to ask for all of this devotion because Jesus is God in the flesh. This has been my stunt. This has been my drumbeat all through the Gospel of Luke. What's the big idea that Luke is putting out there? Jesus works all of these miracles and he asks for all of this devotion based upon what authority? Jesus is God in the flesh. So here we are. Jesus has drawn away with his disciples onto this mountain to pray. 
And as with this inner circle, Peter, James, and John, there's these three guys. They are a special inner circle to Jesus. We see them again at the Garden of Gethsemane. We've seen them at the healing of um, the girl. We, we, he has this inner circle that he takes with him, Peter, James, and John. So here they are. They're up on this mountain praying. And just what happens? Jesus lights up. I don't know. Jesus lights up. He, his face begins to shine like the sun. Now, I know a lot about the sun because we just recently had our nice little like total solar eclipse, right? I still have my glasses that Melissa had bought that I went over so you could look at the sun and not burn your eyes out because the sun is so bright you can't look at it, right? I mean, everyone got that memo. Like everything, every, every news feed was warning you for weeks, don't look at the sun, um, hard to do it really hurts so not a big worry but you can't i mean this jesus shines like the sun with this great intense brightness um he shines like the sun mark makes this interesting detail he must be mad at his launderer or something because he says jesus shows up and he's whiter whiter than any launderer could ever make anything he's whiter than any any, any soap could get, he must have dirty clothes, he must not like the way his bleach is working. And so he says, Jesus shines like no dry cleaner can get him clean. This is how bright, how white that Jesus is shining. Here, all along, his identity has been revealed through his actions. Healing people, teaching, getting rid of diseases, resurrecting people from the dead. But here his identity is not revealed through his actions his identity is revealed not through his knowledge, but somehow, somehow his humanity is pulled back. The veil of flesh is somehow removed from Jesus enough that his, the light of his glory and his divinity shines through. So when we talk about Jesus, we have this fun word that I like to use. You can learn it if you want to, called the hypostatic union. I mean, like theology words, the hypostatic union. And it is this idea that Jesus, it's the truth revealed in Scripture, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He is fully God and He is fully man in one person. He is fully God and He is fully man. Jesus is not 50% God and 50% man. He's not some sort of weird mixture where he's just kind of, he's like oil and water. He's all swirled up. We can't, you know, we can't really tell where. He, no, Jesus is fully God and yet he is fully man. Totally God and totally man. He's not half man, not half God. But what we see in this transfiguration, his, in his earthly ministry, you see his abode, his tent. His physical nature. Something happens here, the transfiguration, that that fully man part is somehow receded or divided. I don't know how you do that, but something happens that the light of the glory of this godness shines through. So the disciples who have seen all these events and have heard all of this teaching and have heard all of these demands for devotion no longer just see the things he does. They see him for who he is in the light of his divinity, the radiance of his glory. And trying to speak of it in a way that makes sense, as you can tell, is difficult. To try to imagine seeing Jesus shining in all of his glory. 
So his divinity shines out. So that's the first thing we see. His divinity shines out. And while his divinity is shining, who shows up but Moses and Elijah? Moses is a big deal. Elijah is a big deal. They are stand-ins, most likely, for the law and the prophets. All the law and the prophets. Moses is the man who climbs up on Mount Sinai and receives the law. Moses, as he comes down, we're going to look at it, reflects the glory of God. And Elijah is the man who proclaims the glory of God on Mount Carmel. When these two men show up with Jesus, though, these, these are incredible figures in our Scriptures. When these two men show up, Jesus far outshines them. Jesus far outshines them. He is in a league of His own. We can go back to Exodus. you got your Bible out still. Look with me. Get a few Old Testament stories in here this morning. Exodus chapter 34. This is uh, Exodus chapter 33, excuse me. Verses 18 through 23, first off. This is in, right here, Jesus is getting ready, or Jesus, Moses, with the Ten Commandments. And so we have Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 through 23. God and Moses are having this argument about going ahead, going on to the promised land. Verse 17, Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Verse 18, Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but not my face, but my face shall not be seen. So Moses is inquiring, God, I want to see your glory. God says, you can't see my glory, it'll kill you. What's going to happen? I'm going to put my hand over you in the cleft of the rock as I go by. And then once I get by, you'll be able to see it's, it says back, but it's almost just like the, the trailing whatever, the, the, the last part. I mean, it's this weird thing. Moses is going to be able to see this back part of God is all that he's able to see. Well, what happens as a result of seeing that? Go over to 34, sorry, in 29. When Moses then comes down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Moses comes down off this mountain after speaking with the light of the glory of God, seeing his hind parts, seeing the backside of him, that the, the, the encounter with that brightness caused him to reflect this glory still. It was, he had residual glory that has been reflected off of him. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Moses meets God on Mount Sinai, and when he gets done, his face is glowing with the results of seeing the brightness 
of the backside of God. Moses, and then where do we see Moses show up? He shows up on this mountain of transfiguration. Likewise, Elijah, back in 1 Kings, go to your right a little bit in your Bible, 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah has quite an encounter with God on um, Mount Carmel. Or he, Moses reflects the glory of God, Elijah proclaims the glory of God. We're in 1 Kings chapter 18, I have down here verses 20 through, oh, I'm in 2 Kings, that's why that doesn't make sense. 1 Kings 18, 20 through 40. Little story here. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered all the prophets together at Mount Carmel. This is after um, the, the drought has gone on. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am a prophet of the Lord and left a prophet of the Lord. The Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. You call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So the story goes on. The prophets beat themselves with themselves. Their offering does not burn up. Elijah then in verse 30, Come near to me. The people came near to him, repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. He takes 12 stones, stacks them up. Number of tribes, the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. It's supposed to be a burnt sacrifice. It's supposed to be a burnt offering. Bowl, woods, trench, got a moat of water that's been poured on it. And he's promised to not light this thing. And we'll see if God, he's upping the stakes. Verse 36. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you are, O Lord, our God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Got to include that part. So here Moses reflects God's glory on Mount Sinai. Elijah proclaims God's glory. This is God. Listen to him. He is the true God. And God responds by sitting fire down upon this mountain. Quite an encounter with the living God. But think, these two, I mean, these stories are wild, are they not? As wild and as incredible as these stories are, 
They show up to talk with Jesus back in our Luke text. They show up to talk with Jesus. And what do they want to talk about? They want to talk about Jesus' departure. They want to talk about Jesus. Moses, who saw the backside of God, getting the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, spoke with God face to face, such to such an extent, he reflects God's glory. Elijah, in this giant offering, filled with water, calls down the fire of God, and it comes down and consumes it up, and they show up with Jesus. You think, you'd be like, Moses, what was that like? Elijah, can you tell me what it was like to have this, giant, this really incredible event go on and the fire of God comes down? What's it like? No. They show up and they want to talk with Jesus about his departure, about what he is going to be doing. How incredible does your mission have to be to outshine Moses and Elijah? How incredible does your mission have to be to outshine Moses and Elijah? Maybe Moses wants to talk about how this departure reflects the Passover lamb. Moses and the, putting the blood over the doorposts and the altar so that, that the people of God would remain safe. Maybe he wants to talk about how his departure is a foreshadowing, a fulfillment of this Passover event. Maybe Elijah wants to talk about how this offering is not confirmed, going to be confirmed by fire coming down, but by Jesus raising from the dead. We don't really know the details, but they want to know and look into what Jesus' mission is. And so they're looking into it. Peter makes this weird comment. We don't have time to talk about this. God, God essentially just ignores <laughs> The tent comment and moves on. And so, with no time for Peter's suggestion, this cloud rolls in, and it's clear that it's not an ordinary cloud. It, it envelops them, it causes fear. The light of this cloud, God, in many places in Scripture, remember the children of Israel led out of Egypt by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by the day. There's all this uh, talk in Psalms about God riding on the clouds. This cloud shows up, swallows up Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, and then it speaks. And the message is the same message we essentially have heard at Jesus' baptism, right? He goes down, he raises up, and God says, From the sky, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. But this time, the voice isn't for Jesus and the personal you. This is a message, maybe to especially talkative Peter. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen. Listen to him. Listen to him. And how important this message is that they listen because he's beginning to teach what's going to happen and God is speaking. Listen to them. And after all of this, with the radiance of his glory and being enveloped in this giant cloud of glory, hearing God speak, the disciples look and who is left? Just Jesus. Just Jesus. All of these incredible things, Moses, Elijah, cloud of glory, shine like light. They fall down in fear, Matthew tells us. Jesus comes over and touches them on the side and they look up and who's left? Jesus. Jesus is in a league of his own. What does it all mean? What we've already said. Jesus has the power to accomplish all of these works and to ask all of this devotion because Jesus is God in the flesh. He performs all these works. We're to look at this with the Gospel of Luke and look at his events that he has done and hear his calls for devotion out of us and think, what authority does he have to say these things? Well, this man did these things and asked for this devotion because he is God in the flesh. 
The light on the Mount of Transfiguration did not shine onto Jesus. It shone from Him. The light on the Mount of Transfiguration did not shine upon Jesus. It shone from Him. It would be one thing for a person favored by God to have His light shine upon them. It's a prayer we pray from, from Numbers, a benediction. Numbers 6, 25, 27. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. You've heard that before? Lord, make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The same idea is repeated in the Psalms. It's a prayer that God would favor you by shining upon you. But what we see in the Mount of Transfiguration is not God shining upon someone. It's God shining from someone. Jesus. We see this is not shining upon Him. Jesus Himself is shining with the glory of God. We see this and we can know that Jesus has the power to accomplish all of His works and to ask for all of this devotion because Jesus is God in the flesh. So seeing this and knowing this, how are we helped? On the Mount of Transfiguration, Christ's glory is revealed, our hopes are illumined, and our fears are faded. The Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus' glory, Christ's glory is revealed. This is no ordinary man. This is what we spend our time talking about. This is no regular guy. You ever get tired of promises from people that you know they're not going to be able to keep them? You ever get tired of your own inabilities, your own sinfulness, your own frailty? Sometimes I, I look around the world and see all the horrible things going on. Sometimes I look inside of myself and think of all the disappointments and shortcomings and realize that we need help from something beyond ourselves. I need help from somebody beyond myself. And this is no help that just some regular person could give me. We need a help that is bigger than ourselves. And who could, who could be that kind of help? Well, maybe the guy who literally let up, lit up. Maybe the guy who shone with the glory of God, of the eternal God, is worth looking to. So when in the Mount, Mount of Transfiguration, Christ's glory is revealed, our hopes are illuminated. When we look to him, what do we find? We find the God-man on a mission. It's a mission that involves his departure. He said he's going to suffer, be rejected, and be killed. But think about this. How can anyone who has radiating that kind of glory from himself, how can that one be killed? How can that one be suffer? If he is God to such an extent, he shines God's glory. How can something like that happen to him? And the answer is that it doesn't just happen to him. This is a part of his plan. This is a part of his plan. These are events that have been determined before the foundation of the world to happen to secure a people for himself, as Ephesians once tell us. Jesus is accomplishing a purpose. Jesus has a purpose and he is accomplishing it. There will be seasons. I need you to kind of hear that. I know I'm going on. Jesus has a purpose and he is accomplishing it. There will be seasons that come up in your life, they come up in my life, and they'll be yet to come up. There are seasons where it will look like Jesus is not completing his work, things go wrong things that go the way you want them to, things break down, relationships, sicknesses, all sorts of awful things that happen and go on. And there will be times where we are tempted to look at life and think Jesus is falling short. 
But Jesus has a purpose and He will accomplish it. Jesus finishes His mission. He gives His life as an atonement for sin. And you can be certain that a God who can accomplish this will will also accomplish His purposes for you. The Mount of Transfiguration, God's glory is revealed. Our hopes are illuminated. This God will accomplish and finish His mission. And our fears are faded. What circumstances can overshadow the bright reality of who Jesus is? This is our special music this morning. Tony and I did not plan that. The idea of turning your eyes upon Jesus and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. He didn't know, I mean, unless he looked ahead and cheated. Preaching on the transfiguration today. The things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. With a guy who lights up like that, What circumstances can overshadow the bright reality of who Jesus is? What circumstances can outshine the reality of who Jesus is and the hope that is illuminated in knowing that you are His? This is what Romans 8, 31-39 tells to us. If God gave us Jesus, how can God who... If He gave us Jesus, how will He not freely give us with Him all things? This is what we have received in Jesus. And if we have received Him, if we have Christ, if we have this One who shines with the light of God's glory, what can overshadow that reality? What can overshadow that hope? If God has given us His own Son, how would He spare us anything? The greatest hurdles we face, our own sinfulness, we are dead in our sins and under the just wrath of God. And God overcomes that hurdle by becoming a man, sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin to condemn sin in the flesh so that through faith in His work, we would be justified. The one who can shine with His own glory willingly lays down His life for the rescue of sinners like all of us. Knowing this illumines our hopes and fades our fears. The God who has done this will not abandon, but He will the one who has begun this good work will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. So have your hopes been illuminated? Have your fears or are your fears fading? Are you glimpsing Christ? Are your hopes being illumined? Are your fears fading? It's related to your glimpse of Christ. Look to Him today. Look to Him right now. Trying to get per- right now. Look to Him. Are your hopes illumined? Your fears fading? Get Look to Christ. See Him in the reminders of our communion table, the broken body, the shed blood. Look to Christ in all of His glory. Free from, flee from your self-sufficiency. Flee from your sin. Flee from your doubt and worry. And flee to Christ. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning. Give us eyes to see You that our hopes would be illuminated, that our fears would begin to fade, seeing the light of your glory for the God who came to earth to rescue sinners. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.